0: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay. Plus taxes and fees. Phone fees 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement. Due $35 per line connection charge applies. CT Mobile.com. The score! Score!
1: Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score. It is so hard as a DB to cover people for as long as you have to cover him when you're playing a guy like Fields who can really extend the play. Snap to Fields. Looking to throw. Stays in the pocket. Now he keeps it. Runs away at the 35 to the 30. Gets a first down and steps out of bounds. How he got out of that trouble, I have no idea. Just love that, man. Just love it, love it, love it. Let's talk quarterbacking with our
2: resident quarterback. He is Tim Jenkins. Tim Jenkins. You can find him on Twitter at Jenkins underscore Elite. You really should follow him because of the video work that he does is always all kinds of cool stuff. The founder and CEO of Jenkins Elite and former NFL quarterback with us now on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sportsbook, and on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Chicago670, The Score. Tim, how you doing today, man?
1: I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Obviously, uh, I think everyone's like trying to figure out how to process last night. But other than that, I am doing great. How about y'all? How did you process
2: it? Did you see it live? And I don't know if it recalled any experience that you've had at any level of football before.
1: Yeah, I think it was actually, uh, you know, my little... uh, We have four kiddos, right? And they're all six and under. So our house is very calm, as you guys could imagine. (laughs) But uh, my six-year-old boy, my two-year-old boy... We're watching, like, Sunday morning countdown or whatever, you know, any one of those morning shows. They saw Josh Allen jump over a guy, so now they're like, hey, listen, when's Josh Allen playing? So I was like, hey, Monday night. So we're watching it as a family, actually, probably the first time they've ever sat down to watch a football game, uh, which was less than ideal, right, with everything that goes on. And then I think um, it's like a rude awakening of the sport that we all love and that the reality is is that – um, it is an ultra dangerous game. On a hit that none of us like really expected to be the one, right? I, I don't think anyone watched that live and then thought, "Man, that's the hit that's going to kind of like wake us all up to how violent this game is." Um, but it's just a reminder, and I think all we can do is, um, you know, wait for more like real news. Like, you know, I'm obviously not a doctor. I don't think. Either you guys are, but maybe you guys could surprise me that you are. But uh, no, I think like we just have to wait for real no's and um, just hope that he's okay.
0: Well, if it's not too invasive, like what do you do as a parent when that happens and you're trying to explain the world to a six and a two year old?
1: I think you just explain, you know, like our little girls locked into and then my wife and I think the reality is you just talk to him about how dangerous this game is and then how dangerous you know, like everything is right, it's, but but specifically this game that there are dangers with it, and um, you know, obviously, I, it's not like you talk to the kids about this, but I think of real the reality is that's why we like it so much, right? Is because it is um, high contact, it's violent, it's stuff that like you know there are car collisions all the time, so I think it's part of why we like it, and um, it's just like the sobering reality of that. Uh, it you know it. It's, My generation of athlete doesn't remember, you know, the 1971 uh, Lions game, Mm -hmm. right? Like that we, that's like all stuff that we're learning about now. Um, The reality is, is we've, we've grown up with like the most dangerous thing we've seen on TV was maybe Alex Smith, right? Breaking his leg and then um, all the complications that came from that. So I do think it's kind of a reminder for maybe the younger generation that, uh, this is a super dangerous game. And um, yeah, I think as a parent, you know, with six-year-olds, you just try to address it any way you can, which is, you know, he's hurt and um, you know, our family is obviously big believers and you know, what we would do is pray for him, Right. But like everyone goes about it their their own way. And I think like that's, that's kind of all you can do as a parent is try to help them, you know, Hey, this is what, this is what our family believes in doing. Um, in a situation like this.
2: So it's been some time since uh, we've talked about Justin Fields' ongoing, decidedly non-linear development. And while his feet continue to look lovely, the, the passing game, not so much this week. We saw his eyes start to drop a little bit. And wondering, now that the talent around him has eroded so significantly, can you tell how much is him... And how much is everybody else around him?
1: Yeah, you know, I I did a breakdown this week on him and I just published it. And, and, you know, the title of the video is, hey, is he regressing? Because I think that's a real question. You look at the box score and anytime someone completes 30% of their passes, has 75 yards and a touchdown and a pick, you think, man, terrible game. The reality is is we kind of have to disassociate what his stats were with how he would get graded internally right and i think that's why i always try to do the good bad on those videos is because sometimes as a quarterback you could have a really good stats game where internally you'll get graded terribly right because you missed certain progressions and did other things this game actually wasn't as bad as the box score would lead you to believe and that i thought he really only missed one which was a shot play with the running back out of the backfield on a corner route. They had a really good matchup with the running back on linebacker. The ball's got to get up and go there. It ends up, he ends up taking a sack. Um, And then the other bad I had was like the end of the first half. I have no idea what that was. Like that was the weirdest play call too, right? It's like, why are we not throwing a Hail Mary around the the 45 yard line? Like that was wild. So those were really the only two bats I walked away from. I thought he did a good job on a, a spot concept of course the scrambles he did he did a good job with um so to me i don't know i think that was his regret it's tough to say he's regressing i think the offense as a whole isn't as explosive as it was a couple of weeks ago um but in general of his regression i don't see it on tape as a regression i just see it more as um this this offense isn't really utilizing as many explosive plays as they had a couple of weeks ago
0: yeah I was gonna ask you about this because if you look over the last five weeks like the bears offense of production has gone down around the board so what are the the signs of regression that over that stretch of time that you are worried about if any
1: yeah, I, I mean, I can't tell you that I'm like specifically worried. I also think that I took a uh, you know a Christmas and New Year's break at the perfect time because it seems like you know between all the teams I follow with the Broncos, the Bears, and and uh, Miami Dolphins, it's been an ideal time to not cover them. So no, I think with the you know I, I think the offense as a whole, a lot of that has to do with you're getting to the point in the season where games don't necessarily. M- count for the bears so they're probably trying a lot more stuff from personnel groupings uh offensive line lineups uh route concepts that you wouldn't see them traditionally try if it was a meaningful win and get in game um as much as like Fans probably hate to hear that, but I think you're probably getting into some different personnel groupings, trying some different things from a concept perspective. So for fields, I don't see it as like a regression. I see it more as like an extension of how you would maybe grade preseason football, um, which I know that sucks for people that are like paying money to go watch the game. And it's just the reality of how you're going to run an organization at this point in the season. Um, And I think like that's more or less where I'm seeing the production difference versus you know, six weeks ago when they're running him 18 times in a game.
2: What's going on with Chase Claypool? We can't figure it out. And I don't know why it's taking a veteran receiver with every physical ability known to man this long to earn time on the field. And if they play Justin Fields and if they are using whatever his snaps are as as some kind of exhibition game next week. Is there anything you could do with the two of them on the field and say, hey, figure this out, you knuckleheads?
1: Yeah, I wish I wish you could. I think, you know, a lot of Chase Claypool is lining up as the backside one-on-one and then executing just versus one guy. Um, They're not getting a lot of those coverages isolated for him, so I think that's probably the reason for not a ton of targets. Um, You know, I think the reality is you could get into some – more three by one, you could kind of get to quads using the back to the three receivers. So if you think in a three one by one formation, we have three receivers on one side of the formation. If you're in a shotgun, if the back is away from those three receivers, so if the receivers are on the right and the back is to the left of Justin Fields, defenses treat that as like a three by two. If you put him towards the three receivers, you all of a sudden get a, you know, in reality, you get a quads check and you're going to get them more bumped over. So you could get into some of those formations, and isolate him backside if you really want to try to feature him. Um, but I think you know the last time I came on here, other than taking a shot at Mike North, who then I learned the history of <laughs> of him on the radio up there. Um, How great was that? You know, uh, so that was that was great. Other than that, the last time we kind of talked about, hey, a lot of this is going to come in the off season, and I and I really still believe that. In that Claypool, I think will look completely different week one of next year um, than what we're seeing now with like uh you know, midseason trade in addition to a lot of scheme changes that this Bears offense has gone through, you know, over the course of the season that I've come on and and talked with you guys about.
2: What did you make of what the Bills did to effectively contain Fields' outside running? And I know the Bills are a talented fast and disciplined defense, but some of what they did, it almost looked like basketball defense to me, because I know scrape exchange can kind of look like pick and roll defense with helps and recoveries, and you got him, and you got him, and you got him, but the Bears weren't able to get the numbers advantage against some
1: of those fronts. Yeah, I think like when you look back at the Bills game, yeah, that one, a lot of, like, they schemed it up, When you look at this Lions game, the truth of the matter is just Aiden Hutchinson alone took away the QB run game, which is crazy to think about, but it's also why guys go number two overall. Like he was the only guy that we've seen play the zone read effectively. Like he's the only guy that's been athletic enough to give Justin a pull read, which means he plays down. So the quarterback then pulls it to run it and then run with him. Like we saw fields get outside of him once for an eight yard gain and it was really funny because today I tweeted out, I said, listen, my big takeaway from this Bears-Lions game is how good Aiden Hutchinson is at taking away QB run. And someone was like, well, Justin Fields had a 45-yard run. Like, no duh, dude, on scramble, right? Like, that's not QB run. That's that's not design quarterback run. So to me, it was like, that's what I think the reality of this Lions game was, was Hutchinson blew up a quarterback sweep in the red zone. He blew up a couple of QB zone reads and then when you get to that point you can't keep calling them as a coach because you're not going to put your quarterback in harm's way so i think that's the other piece of it where it was like the bears really need to find the answer for when they're playing meaningful football and someone is taking away zone read what's the next iteration to me the next iteration has to be zone read with like a little slant or a little we would call it a glance route where it's more of a five-step slant off of the same side read meaning hey you've got the read but if you get that dn that you can't get outside of or you get the you know scrape exchange we can replace behind it with this glance so it's really more of like a rpo right the run pass option with fields actual threat of running the ball is that next iteration that i think will make them unstoppable with it but they just haven't shown it yet
0: do you value fields playing on sunday
1: Um, I, I I can't tell you that I have a a hard opinion either way. If they want to protect him, fine. Um, but like, I don't know. I I think anytime you can get a quarterback reps in an NFL game, it's, it's good. Um, but I also understand what his style of football potentially wanting to sit in right and avoid something catastrophic. When you, when you look at the reality of he is your franchise, right? He is, um, the, I, I mean, he's carried these guys, right? Like, even though they didn't, do anything on offense last week. Like what they did do was because of him. So I get wanting to protect him. Um, I can't tell you that I have a hard stance either way. And you guys know me, I'm, I'm, I'm more than overly opinionated when I have something, but I just don't have anything on this. If they want to sit him, I get it. Um, and if they want to get him meaningful reps, uh, I, I get that perspective too. And I don't think they can really go wrong either way other than, Obviously, if he gets hurt, everyone on planet Earth will second guess him.
2: We've started to look more closely at this upcoming draft, not because the Bears need a quarterback, but the Bears are going to have a high pick that might be tantalizing for a team that does covet a quarterback. And we know that no matter where they're currently ranked or or believed to be taken, somebody's going to fall in love with somebody, as they always do. And I'm just wondering, of this group, and there's some big names here with some varying skill sets. Who do you like best as a scout? Who, if you if you had to draft Man. one of these guys to start a team, who would it be?
1: That's such a great question. So you look at you know a guy like Stroud, you gotta like what he does uh, from Ohio State. The kid uh, Bryce Young is the one for me that I watch and I like nitpick probably more than most. That means you like him though. Yeah, you wouldn't nitpick I, I him if you that, didn't like him. I, I I do think there's something to that with with his footwork is just kind of weird at the top of his drop. But again, I've been, you know, I, I've been like hesitant on someone's footwork and then all of a sudden they get to the NFL. It didn't matter. Right. So I think that's, you know, you got to be honest with, with, okay, I've done this before. Then, then can we learn something? The kid that I'm really interested in is, is the Anthony Richardson kid from Florida, because he's the one that when you turn on his tape, you sit there and you're like, Oh my gosh, dude, he's a lot like fields from, he could potentially be the best athlete on the field when he goes in place, which is like special. We've seen Field single handedly change the entire game because he can basically do it all. So Richardson's the kid that I think is, is cut from that cloth. Um, but yeah, I think the Richardson kid is maybe who I would look at and say, man, if I'm starting a franchise, I see a way in which I could get him to be effective early. Um, as I'm teaching him everything else that goes into playing quarterback in the NFL. We talked about it with Justin where it was like, hey, give him pure progression so he's effective in the pass game, and then let him take over with his skill set as you get him caught up to seeing you know, 37 snaps of trap coverage over the course of three weeks, right? There are certain things that you just have to get someone caught up to. Um, And so I think Richardson's the kid that I do think could be special of the group. Tim, what would be
0: on your list of things that you want Justin Fields to accomplish in the offseason?
1: I if if Fields called me and was like, "Hey Tim, I'm coming to Colorado and and, and what are we going to grind on?" It would 100% be getting his base aligned all the time, even like in situations where his arm talent normally wouldn't need it to be aligned because I think we've seen a couple of times where his base got lazy on like a screen or a simple slant. And it results in him missing a throw that he should just not, he shouldn't miss. So to me it'd be nonstop working that base because I think he has all the tools to make the hard throw. Like when you have to disassociate your upper body from your lower body, which then is like the easier thing of, okay, well, let's grind to be perfect with our base because I know, you know, natural talent, you can make it happen when it's not. So that's what we would be grinding 24 seven. That's what I'd love to see him work on. And then obviously, just grinding the whiteboard with, you know, hey, what are the Chicago concepts that you feel comfortable with? Let's look at tape, you know, hey, freeze the beginning of the snap. What do you think they're in? Boom, let it roll. Okay, what would you see them flash to? What were the indicators of why they rolled coverage? Where are we going to get to if we don't have a perfect play on? Um, Those are the kind of things that you grind with a guy like that because he has all the talent in the world. I think if you can hold him accountable to his base, make sure his base is perfect, even when he feels like, man, my arm talent can do it without it. Um, And then obviously – like every quarterback on planet Earth, he has to watch every single game that he played this season four times.
2: Tim Jenkins, thank you so much. It was, as always, full of good stuff.
1: I appreciate you guys.
2: That's Tim Jenkins. I'm just, i I'm sorry, I'm, I'm following Twitter today, and, and I hear the phrase, hold him accountable to his base, and I'm just imagining what's going on. Oh, on, that's on, different. I'm the house. Floor.
0: I mean, <laughs> in some respects, <laughs> yes, that is also happening.
2: I cannot get enough of it. A hundred-year precedent. A <laughs> hundred years. As uh, as our friend Schmutzy just tweeted, they can't decide which brand of a-holes they want to be. So fun. Uh, the Cubs have a guy on their sights, and he is maybe the most mid-possible acquisition. Like his, So why are we doing a segment on it? Because I want to compare him to the other name that's still out there. Okay. Because I, uh, I feel like that other name would be perfect. I, I like the other name better. This guy's just so meh. He's just like the... He's so Taguchi? He's the guy's just so Taguchi. He, he is the he is the the distillation of baseball meh. That's a tease. That's next on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes. Midday 10 to 2. On Sports Radio 670 The Score. And 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. This ball is hit in the air. Deep left center. Hayward going back to the left center field fence. That's a home run. (laughs) Eric Hosmer, a home run to left center, and now it's a one-run ball game. You know, just haven't been enough of those lately from Eric Hosmer. He's just, or for the Cubs. That's true. he's just he's he's fine. That's the name that has surfaced as being on the Cubs' radar as their veteran first base, but they're not ready to turn it over to Matt Mervis yet. Yet. Eric Hosmer's 33 years old, he's not getting any younger. He's lefty, he's 6'4, 226. And he projects according to uh, here we go, the projection metrics this year. Okay. To bat two sixty eight with an on base of three thirty, a slugging of four twelve, a WRC plus of one oh nine. Okay, which is fine.
0: Yeah, it's it's actually all right.
2: It's fine, and and to be a 0.6 win player because oh. he's bad at defense. Ugh, it's it ha- he's half a win.
0: Okay, but he's not negative. No. The guys like that have to be on your roster, Veteran, right? T- good
2: teammate, right? Got good reputation.
0: Yeah, a good bridge between the English speakers
2: and Spanish speakers. Is that right? mm mm-hmm. Cosmer? Okay. Well, we know him as a Kansas City Royal when he had some some pretty big seasons in there, some WRC Plus seasons, 120, 124, 135, as recently as 2020. That was you know a shortened year, but a 128 WRC Plus. But he's, nah, nah. But c- compare that to Trey Mancini who is younger at 30, who bats righty, first base DH outfield, offers you a little bit more versatility and projects this year to bat 244, to be on base 321, and to slug 409 at WRC plus of 107. But because he's a better base runner, a better defensive player, double the war projection at
0: 1.2. And he also has all of the 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 other stuff that you would
2: you would say hosmer has and and you know let me also say that war is also having to do with playing time here and that's probably Ugh. the biggest reason here is because they they're only projecting hosmer to play 84 games and I don't know what those systems know or where they're factoring him in, or maybe it's because he hasn't signed anywhere, or they just think he is purely a part-time player. Do they think that Mervis will be here? I don't know. There's more value for Mancini projecting to play 138 games. That's really where it comes from. So he split the difference. It's, if you, it depends on righty, lefty, and, and three years of age.
0: I've been thinking a lot about the Trey Mancini thing, and he really loved Baltimore, and then they built a ballpark, that he can't hit it. Like, what? What do you mean the left field wall is now going to be 27 feet? I'm done here. Like, I can't play here anymore. He ends up going to the Astros, and he wins a World Series, which is great. Um, he, Everyone talks about him being a wonderful human being. Obviously, he was able to survive a bout of cancer. I think it was stage three um, that he made it back from. They need some pop. He's got some pop. They need someone to play first base until we know if Matt Mervis can or cannot play first base. Are you projecting Mervis as a
2: major leaguer by the end of the year? Who knows? I, I know he's torn up everything they've put in front of him. He's absolutely romped and stomped. He was undrafted. Mike Rankin, you got anything on Matt Mervis for me? Well, I know that the Cubs targeted him specifically in 20, because of the shortened five-round
1: draft. They went right to him as soon as the fifth round ended. And he's got pop, left-handed bat. And like Dan said, over the last two-plus years, he's torn up the minors. So I think we should temper our expectations. But I believe that the Cubs believe he's going to be a part of their plan. I don't know how quickly, but maybe, like you know, safe estimation around June,
2: July, if everything goes well. His year last year, in high A... He had a WRC plus of 181. That'll work. In AA, a WRC plus of 147. Still really good. And then in a representative 57 game, 240 plate appearance stint at AAA, a WRC plus of 152.
0: Which do you value more, a guy succeeding at AAA or a guy
2: succeeding at AA? All of it. I think it depends on his age related to, to where he is very often. But at age 24... This is a major college experience. Who knows? I mean, so you, you can't sneeze at this. You don't. You don't accident your way to these numbers. There's got to be something there. I would agree. It's just that. Well, I I guess that what are the Cubs this season? Well, I'll tell you. Here's you want to know the projections on Mervis? Sure, I would love. I would really love to hear that. All right, this is what Steamer says that. He, they've got him at 118 games. Okay, This is a major league projection. Wow. Okay. 259, 322, 480, a WRC plus of 123 and two wins. So, yeah, then then the move is to sign Hosmer. Because he doesn't cost you anything. Right. Like Man, Mancini would be what? 10 million, 11 million? Probably maybe even more
0: than maybe 12 million. I mean, it's not my, not my money. No, it's it's not my money either. I mean, I don't think they should be afraid to sign more good players. It's not the Mancini can
2: play some outfield too, right? And I'll tell you what I really liked in the numbers last year. It's sort of buried in here, but I don't know what what this means at class at high A. He walked four point six percent of the time and struck out twenty four point one percent of the time at double A. He almost doubled his walk rate to 8.7 and dropped his strikeout rate to 20%.
0: That's interesting. Then
2: he moved up another level. When he moved up to AAA, his walk rate went up to 10.4. His strikeout rate went down to 14.6. Huh. So as he moved up in levels, those numbers improved significantly with each rise in class. That's that's
0: really interesting. That's very encouraging. Because that's not ordinarily how it goes. Right. You don't become more selective as you move up the chain. And
2: as the pitching gets better. I mean granted in the minors you do have variance in certain leagues. There are pitching leagues and hitting leagues. There are places where you got to take the air out of the stats. It's like this guy who just posted from or is going to post from Korea. You're reading about this. That you reading all that. You're seeing all that. That that Maddie. He's got crazy numbers, but some of the the power numbers in Korea are are inflated, and you got to pull that out of there. And they've got all the wonks have their 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 metrics and their adjustment factors to do all that.
0: So what what do you think it means for the Cubs in 2023? Now that we we saw kind of what their plan was and. They made their big splash with bringing in Dansby Swanson. Like, he's the centerpiece of their offseason. What do you think they are
2: saying to us? I don't know. I don't know. We're, I mean, they. no one asked Jed any questions when he was sitting there. I'm still, he was right there. You, we wouldn't have to speculate if somebody, somebody realized that the president of baseball the comes sitting in front of them in the room.
0: I'm still amazed by that. Yes. Like, how in the world? It, it was like everyone got up. All right, boys, let's get some pictures. Boys, let's get some pictures. Yes. yes. Come on. Like, he's right there. You could ask him things about the team and what they might do
2: next. We have a statement here from ESPN. This is uh, tweeted by Don Van Natta Jr. And he said, this is ESPN's statement regarding Joe Buck saying that the game would resume after five minutes. Okay. Okay. Here, quote, there was constant communication in real time Mm
1: -hmm. between
2: ESPN and league and game officials. Mm -hmm. As a result of that, we reported what we were told in the moment and immediately updated fans as new information was learned. This was an unprecedented, rapidly evolving circumstance. All night long, we refrained from speculation. That's it.
0: I'm not surprised at their statement, and it's kind of what we were talking about
2: earlier. Where Joe Buck's like, like he's a made man, real dude. Like he, well, that's them having his back too, because I, I would imagine that he might be texting a producer and be like, "Hey." You're making me look like a clown here. And and the truck was telling me that this is what we were here, and I was just repeating what I, what I was being told. I don't think that that's, I don't even think that was the, I
0: think that Joe talked to people f- from the league. And that's what people in the league told him. And he's like, oh, all right. And now it's like, oh, we never thought about, like, I, I love Troy Vincent, but I've, I am, I do not trust him. And I think that he has been put out there to put out a lot of fires for Roger Goodell, and he's being paid handsomely for it. But I don't, when I hear that he's going to be interviewed someplace, I'm like, huh, this will be interesting. Let's see how this whole thing goes. When we come back, I, I ran across something that made me chuckle. And it's from Sylvester Stallone. We'll do it next here on the score.
2: Bursting at Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station.
0: Well done, Mike Rankin. And the reason that he is playing an orchestral Godfather theme. Is because in an interview that Sylvester Stallone did with the CBC, as he was promoting Tulsa King on Paramount Plus, I guess Sly was in line to be an extra
2: in The Godfather. How old was, well sure, because he was in, when was Lords of Flatbush? 74?
0: Now, imagine, like, even thinking of early Rocky, Stallone, and and knowing how important, like, Italian heritage and culture is to him. Check out this story he tells about how he didn't end up being an extra for the
2: Godfather. Didn't I hear a story that you were like up for the gov- something in The Godfather or like an extra or something it, like that? Well, yes. They needed 250 people, basically 50 to stand behind the wedding cake. You don't even see me. And I was turned down by Paramount, who
1: did Tulsa Cake, yeah. to be an extra behind the cake. And they said, oh, you don't look Italian enough. The only thing that looked more Italian than me is a pizza. What is wrong with you people? My God. I got spaghetti hanging from my hair. And 30 years later, I hired that casting agent to be an agent. I go, how you doing? Is that true? True. You hired the person That's who turned 100%. you down for not being Italian enough to be a victim. That's right. And did you tell them? Oh, every day. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Could you imagine the balls? Like, to tell he, him he that he's not Italian enough. Maybe he's t- like too Italian American looking, looking, and that Sicilian look. I, who, who, I mean, like, if what? you look at look what? at it's seventy what? Sly Stallone. He's he's an extra in the movie Bananas, the Woody Allen movie. He's 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 like a thug on the subway, and I mean that that would be that age. I think that was seventy two. That's what we're talking about. I mean, come on, man, that's so
0: crazy. The only. <laughs> It's like a spaghetti falling out of my hair. I- <laughs> <laughs> Can you just imagine, like that person being like, "Nah, you you're not what we're looking for."
2: And him being like, "What? Uh, what? Look at this!" It's like telling like Kevin Pollack he doesn't look Jewish enough, right? I mean, there's something like that. <laughs> you, Lieutenant Weinberg. You, oh no, it's you. Weinberg, oh yeah, that's an all-timer, uh, or, or Saul Rubinek, you know, when it's somebody like God, that's hysterical. I'm sorry, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, you're not black enough for this role. <laughs> you mother <laughs> you bitch ass, I am mother. Uh...
0: So I just thought I'd share that. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. That's that's great.
2: <laughs> um, how are we supposed to do this, Dan? I have no idea. I'm already punchy, and I got another four hours left, and then a, I'm doing a triple shift today. So I've got, I will be sitting in, we're, we're doing transition with the afternoon show, but I'm not changing seats. No, nor should you. Because we're going to have Jason Leisure in yes. this other seat as part of transition. Yes. And that's going to be the Spiegel and Parkins show. We're going to have Hub Arkish at four o'clock. Great. Perfect guest for today. We're going to have Joe Cowley at five, and then we're going to have Lawrence W. Holmes at 5.30. What? To come on to talk about the television show Football Night in Chicago that's making its debut. Yes, after transition,
0: I'll be leaving here and putting on uh, at least the suit. Though well, they've kind of said, like, don't worry about wearing ties anymore. That's kind of become a thing. And I'm like, all right. I mean, I enjoy wearing a tie.
2: But you but have so many nice ties. I have a ton of nice ties. I do not. I have, like, two nice ties and then a bunch of garbage. But
0: out. I get it. They want it to look a little bit more comfortable. The cool thing is, is that Wani has found, like, the right spot between dressy and casual with some of the... Because he does vest a lot. So, like, think three-piece piece suit vest without the jacket. And he's still in such great shape that he's able to pull that off, and it looks really good. So, yeah, I'll be on the show to talk about the TV show, which we will debut tonight at 6 o'clock. But none of that can happen until we talk with Jason Leisure with Dan who's the afternoon show, even though he has this show. Mm -hmm. We'll try and figure it out all next here on The Score.